Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kate Norris. And I'm Thomas Craft. Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence. Welcome to episode 45 of the Presentation Boss Podcast. It's another one of my favourite numbers, but that's not important because, Kate, what's going on with you? Heaps is going on with me today, actually. Today's really huge for me. My little dude has started daycare today. Yeah, nice. First day? It is, which is really mixed emotions. Like, I'm really happy to have a little bit of space here at home, but also, like, he's so little still, so it's, <laughs> it's always a bit hard to drop him off. He's fine. He didn't cry at all when I left him this morning. Um, so we've got first day of daycare, which means no noises from Elliot will be coming through podcasts probably anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What will I edit out now? (laughs) But on top of that, it's first day of school for my daughter. And it also happens to be her birthday. She turned six today. So there's so much going on. She's taken ice blocks to school to share with all her friends. (laughs) Nice. It's just been the hugest morning. But it's really nice to have a little bit of space and basically an empty house to actually record a podcast for the first time in a very long time. Yeah, so we've got what? No Elliot, no Felicity. But there is a cat curled up at my feet, so <laughs> forgot that bit. Yes, and he is a bit prone to whinging, so you never know how much we're going to hear from him. <laughs> so we will that, see. So that's what I'll edit out of the podcast. <laughs> that's it. But what I am really excited about as well is this breakdown. Yes, it's another speech breakdown today, and this is one that you chose as well. Yes, it is. So on these speech breakdowns, we play a presentation or a speech that we have found and we start to analyse it a little bit. Uh, What we'll do is we'll play it for you and we will pause at any times that we feel are noteworthy. So if the presenter is doing something that we think is quite clever, that's worth copying or we can learn from, or if they're doing something that we think maybe doesn't work so great that we can also learn from and we'll make some comment as we go. And then right at the end, we also talk about things like what message we found in the presentation, as well as what you would see if you were watching this talk. So we know that one of the best ways to improve our speaking is to watch other people speak, to really think critically about what they're doing that we can perhaps learn from, because life just is too short to make all of the mistakes yourself. (laughs) It's true. You have to learn from others' mistakes. And it's also too short to come up with all of the good ideas yourself. And getting inspiration from other people is also really helpful for your speaking. Absolutely. So today we're going to listen to Jane Harper from TEDx Bly Street, which was in Sydney, Australia. Uh, This was October 2018. So Jane Harper with Creativity in Your Control. Let's go. A lot of us would like to do something creative in our lives. So why don't more of us pursue that? If we're drawn to writing or art, or performance, why is it that those things often feel a little bit out of reach for a lot of people? And why is it that the creativity we need for those things feel like something so elusive? Is it because there are only a handful of truly gifted people in the world? Or is it possible that we tend to look at creativity in the wrong way? I've written three books in the past three years. They were all Australian mysteries, and two of them are international bestsellers, and the third one just came out this week. And, oh, thank you. Pause for applause. Thank you. <laughs> and um, I really like this opening because I feel like she's asking a lot of questions that I personally have asked. Mm. And there's kind of a mix between a couple of statements and a couple of questions. And it really does make me think. And it feels very targeted to me. And then at the end of her introduction, she gives us her credibility. Mm. Yep. 
that she's written two international best-selling books and she's just released a third. So it's really clear quite early that she's the right person to be talking about creativity. Although she does then get a round of applause and it kind of shocks her. She's clearly not expecting it. There's a little moment of um, authenticity of humility there. Just like, oh yes, pause for applause. Like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I liked that. Mm. But I, I just think it's a really nice opening. Yeah, see, for me, I thought there were too many questions in that opening. I would have liked Ah. maybe, I think ideally, if you can ask a single super pertinent question to open with, that's ideal. But in this, like you said, she's asking a few questions that people would ask themselves. And it it does need a couple. But I think maybe if she just got down to like three or four statements or questions, delivered them confidently, and then gave a pause after each one, would show a little bit more deliberateness in this presentation just a a question to make the audience think and a pause to allow them to think. Hmm. Yep, fair enough. Pause for applause, thank you. (laughs) And um, running those three books has completely changed the way that I look at the creative process because I used to have quite a passive approach to it, which isn't surprising when you look at the language we use around creativity. So we talk about being visited by the muse or struck by inspiration. Or I often hear people say, you know, I'm just not a creative person. I I could never do something like that. And, you know, I used to buy into that a bit myself, but I don't anymore. I think there's a key technique we can take away from what she just did here, which is I sometimes hear people say, I'm just not a creative person. Because I know that you listening and you, Kate, have either said that or heard 50,000 people say that to you. Absolutely. So I think the key technique here is find what that key core dialogue is that people have with themselves and state it bring it out in the open so that you have all of these people listening who are like "Mm, i've thought that or yes people have said that to me and now you're getting people on board by calling out the dialogue that happens in their own head i think we actually learned this from the last speech breakdown that we did which was the key to creating effective science videos about debunking the myth first getting rid of the wrong information before you can then give people the right information. And I think in that video, I said that I didn't learn anything. I was but I say. think it's just, I've just proven to myself <laughs> that I have learned something and I've seen it happen here. I was going to say, you said you had to watch that speech again. Did you watch that speech again? I did and I learned. <laughs> but she's used that exact same technique of bringing that myth out first, that incorrect assumption out first. Hmm. And not that she's debunked it or debunked it yet, but it's certainly been stated. And it feels like she's going to debunk it. That's certainly what she's setting up for. Yeah, it's that idea of piquing the interest of like, mm, yes, I've said that. Now I'm listening because it's like maybe she has tools or techniques to help me either overcome that or she's going to validate that for me that, yes, I'm not a creative person. I was right all along. So either way, you've got people's attention there. Yeah. Yeah, you're either being vindicated or I want to be wrong about this. Yeah, cool. Let's keep going. You know, I used to buy into that a bit myself, but I don't anymore because writing the books has taught me that you can actually make really significant leaps towards a creative goal by using the practical skills that you already have and you probably already use in your daily lives. And that was something that made a lot of sense to me once I realized that because in other areas of life, we do expect people to have a certain level of experience and practice before they succeed. So nobody here expects to turn up at the Olympics and just ask to have a go. And you don't ask someone to defend you in a legal trial without the appropriate qualifications. 
and we don't build a house without an architectural blueprint. But the expectation in creative fields seems to be that one day you should just wake up with this amazing idea, completely fully formed, and then you execute it in a passionate frenzy. And anything less than that is seen as somehow a less authentic experience. Um, but at the same time, we hear a lot of stories about you know, sort of tortured, struggling artists. So obviously, that approach is not working for everybody. And the reason I think it doesn't work for everybody is because it's actually really hard to channel creative energy into a completely empty space and expect something coherent to form. But if you focus on the technical aspects and you use those practical skills that you already have, you can build a framework, and that serves as a base then for your creative ideas to build on. So how do we build the framework? There are three things that really worked well for me, and they are motivation, time management, and mastering the technical ability. And hopefully they all you know, sound somewhat familiar to you already. Okay, there's two things here. One I love, one that I'm not so sure about. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing I'm not so sure about is she said, she said about a minute ago that you can overcome not being a creative person using the practical skills you already have. And then she talked about some other stuff and then came back to that. I'm just, I can't remember what that, that the last sort of 30 seconds have been and, and if it was sort of relevant to moving forward with the presentation around you have practical skills you use every day and I'm going to show you how to use them. I think there might have been a bit of detail in there we could have stripped out. I disagree with that because to me she went into, like you don't need experience, you don't turn up at the Olympics just asking to have a go, you don't build a house without an architect. And contrasting that to creativity where you actually don't need a whole lot of experience and the experience that you have will serve as a base. So to me, that actually worked really well. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And the thing you loved? Yeah, the thing I love uh, is right here, it was signposting. That's the technique where you say, I'm going to talk about three things today. They are one, two, three. And she just mentioned them. So we have a little bit of a framework. Ironically, what she's talking about. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a little bit of a framework around what it is she's going to say and what these three things are going to be. It just gives us a little bit of a yeah, framework. It gives us a little bit of a map in our mind uh, moving forward around what it is that she's talking about when she elaborates on those three points. It's always really good to signpost it up front. I'm going to tell you about one, two, three, talk about them. And then it could be really helpful at the end to say, we discussed these three points, one, two, and three. And hopefully they all you know, sound somewhat familiar to you already. Motivation, you know, people give up before they've even started, before they've written a word or picked up a paintbrush, because the goals that we set ourselves can often feel so overwhelming. And we worry so much about the things that are outside of our control. You know, what will people think of it? Will I find a publisher? What will the reviews say? And we spend so much energy worrying about the things outside of our control that we underestimate the power of the things within our control. And I made this mistake myself for a lot of years, because if you'd asked me, I would have said I wanted to write a book. When in actual fact, what I really wanted was to write a book, get a publishing deal, and for it to be a bestseller. <laughs> and I did get those things, actually. But of course, the only thing that was ever within my control was writing the book itself. And it wasn't until I narrowed the goalposts and I let myself just focus on that one aspect that I actually felt able for the first time to tackle it. And it was quite a freeing experience for me because suddenly I could just write this book that I wanted to write without having to worry about what may or may not happen afterwards. So when I wrote my debut novel, The Dry, I wanted to write something that was set in um, Australia because I found the landscape very interesting. And I wanted to write something with characters that um, I believed in and felt authentic to me. And I wanted to write something with a strong element of mystery and suspense because those are the kind of books that I like to read. 
And I was able to approach it really with a kind of fearlessness because I'd, ex I'd realized that for me, the goal of writing a manuscript was enough in itself to make it worthwhile the time and the effort that it required without having to worry about what may or may not happen afterwards. Um, can I ask potentially a simplistic question? We were talking about writing a book and now she's talking about writing a manuscript. And what's a manuscript? I thought that was a thing that like monks and nuns wrote back in the day. It was like a big mystery, like the Voynich manuscript or something. Handy trivia. A manuscript is purely an unpublished piece of text. Ah. So as soon as it becomes published, it's no longer a manuscript. It's now a book or a... Yeah. Okay. So there's a... Okay. There's just a little piece of jargon that... Well, I didn't know that. It didn't stand out to me because I was like, I'm pretty sure it's just a book. Hmm. Learn something every day. The goal of writing a manuscript was enough in itself to make it worthwhile the time and the effort that it required without having to worry about what may or may not happen afterwards. Time management is obviously key for any goal, but I think particularly a creative goal can often feel like a really um, frivolous luxury. And with work and family commitments, it's really easy for that to slip to the bottom of the pile. And I again fell into this trap myself of thinking that one day I was going to have this big block of time open up and I would be able to focus on this task without any outside distractions. And of course, that you know, rarely happens for anybody and it didn't happen for me either. But what I did realize along the way was that it wasn't enough just to want to do it. I had to actually make time within you know, my existing schedule. You know, and time management is a whole talk in itself, and you guys would all know how to manage your time and what that would look like for you. But what I would encourage you to aim for is consistency, because if you do a little bit often, you get two really good benefits from that. And one is that you see your project actually progressing, which can be incredibly good for motivation in itself. And the second is that it keeps you in that headspace where the ideas are kind of ticking over. And it's really in that headspace that I find the creative leaps do come. One thing that I really think we need to address is she is not giving any space for me to think about what she said. There's no pause in here. I think there's some really poignant things that she's saying, some things that I really want to just think on for a few seconds, and I'm not given the space to do that, and I feel like I'm going to have to go back and watch this a couple of times to really understand and really get some solid takeaways because there is some super handy, valuable information here, and I just need her to pause. And the second thing is her voice. I think she mumbles maybe just a tiny bit, and it's not helped with her mic placement. Her mic placement, I think, is actually too close to her mouth. Mm. And you're getting a lot of mouth sounds. You're getting the, um, the click of saliva and also a bit of breath come through the mic. And that's not her fault. You can actually place the mic better so you don't hear that. But it's certainly not helping her situation how she sounds. She's not, she's not clear and crisp enough to completely overcome that technological issue. And I don't think it's that bad but I think it's something to be aware of both as a tech mic person and as a speaker your audio is really really important you want to be clear and crisp if you can because it just makes it easier to listen to especially when you're not giving any pause and and room for thought there was also just here a clever thing that she did that we can learn from uh, there was that sentence where she said time management's important you know how to manage your time use those skills uh, in this framework for creativity and just moved on. She said it's a whole nother talk in itself. She's yeah. acknowledging that there's so much that she can't touch on today. Yeah, but it could be easy to fall into the trap of starting to talk about time management and getting bogged in that. So yeah. she's made that clever decision to say the skills around time management, we don't have time for today or I don't have time for today are not 
as important as the other stuff around this framework that I want to talk about. So she's made a clever decision about what not to say there. Yes, yes. And it's really in that headspace that I find the creative leaps do come. And technical ability is something that um, I believe actually creative skills are like every other skill, which means that they can be improved through training and practice. And I think it's misguided to think that your first attempts are going to be your best attempts and that whatever natural talent you're born with is all you're ever going to need to get by. Because I'm sure there have been times in your own professional lives where you've had a go at something and it hasn't worked out as you wanted the first time and you've quite rightly put that down to lack of practice. But we have that same experience in a creative area and we're very quick to write that off as lack of talent. And I think that's really overly pessimistic and it's a real shame to underestimate your own ability to improve. And it's absolutely fine to have to work at this stuff. It's fine to have to you know, educate yourself about the industry, you know, listen to the experts, read the books, take the class, learn one end of a paintbrush from the other or how to write dialogue or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So at least when you come to have a go yourself, you've got some basic technical skills under your belt. And when you do come to have a go, let yourself try a few different ways of working before you find a way that works for you because there's no one size fits all for it. My own writing practices changed quite a bit over the course of three books, but it still at heart comes back to those three things. Because whatever stage you're at, writing a book is still a big undertaking and I still have to motivate myself to do it. And if I find myself getting overwhelmed by the level of pressure or expectation, I just make myself again narrow those goalposts and I focus on something that I know I can achieve. So I can write half a chapter or do a piece of research or fix one hole in the plot. And I... As long as I do enough of those little things, often enough and well enough, I trust that the big picture will emerge because I can't control what anybody else is going to think of it. All I can control is the amount of effort that I put in and the quality of the work that I put out. Time management has changed for me a bit as well. When I first wrote my debut, The Dry, I was working full-time as a journalist, which I'd done for 13 years. So I had to write my book around my full-time job. So I used to write for an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening every day to um, get that creative habit that I was talking about. Um, now I'm a full-time author, so I can structure my days in a way that works more for me. And what actually works really well for me is mimicking that office environment really closely. So I still leave the house every day, I go to an office space, and I work for a set number of hours. And I set myself short and long-term goals and to keep myself on a schedule. Um, and technical ability is something I hope to always be working on you know, throughout my career. You know, I, I plan a lot. I rewrite a lot, I do a lot of drafts, I'm constantly kind of refining the manuscript to make sure that by the time it hits the shelves, it's the best version of the story that I feel that I can tell. With my third book, The Lost Man, which just came out, that was set in Outback Queensland, which is very different from where I live in Melbourne, and it took a lot of research to write that book. So I spent several months researching and planning, and I did a really extensive chapter-by-chapter -chapter outline, so I knew exactly where the book was going to go from start to finish, and I did all that before I started writing it at all. And even then, even with all that planning and the preparation and the research, I still didn't get it right first time. And I still found that I had to rewrite really significant chunks of that manuscript and change some really key areas because it's just part of the process. And it was only when I had the security of those first drafts down that I really felt able to kind of step onto, up onto them and see a little bit further and see those creative leaps that I could make to make it that little bit better. So I do believe if you do focus on those things within your control, it's entirely reasonable that a dedicated person can get their creative project to a point where it's something that they feel happy with and they can feel proud of. And realistically, not everybody is going to get the book deal or see the artwork hang in a gallery. 
but it is going to happen for some people. And I know that it can feel impossible, but it is possible and it's clearly possible because there are bookshops full of books that actually did get published and there's artwork of all types and tastes hanging on walls everywhere and there's people getting ready for performances all the time. So there's people actually succeeding at this stuff every day. And if you focus on those things you can control and you give yourself and your project the best possible chance of success, there's absolutely room to join them. Thanks very much. All right. So that was Jane Harper, Creativity in Your Control. That title makes a lot more sense now that I've watched it. Mm. So. Let's talk about that. Two questions that we asked. The first one, what is the one message that you got from that talk? I think the message was quite clear and I haven't refined this quite down to something super short. I think it's everybody can be creative. It's in your control if you follow this framework, which is a little bit of um, a little bit of a combination of sort of the title. She talked about she didn't see herself as creative and then just decided to basically make a start. And she gave us the framework with those three steps, motivation, time management and technical ability. So if I put all that together... Yeah, the message I got was creativity is within your control if you follow the framework. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I got, which was creativity is a lot more structured than perhaps you believed it was. Yeah. It was quite clear to me, and we actually talked about halfway through, about that decision of what not to include. It feels like this talk has been put together so carefully, which you would expect from a writer. Um, (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) And she's made the decision of what is going to drive my message forward. Mm. And that's what we got was just these three sections plus a nice intro and conclusion to drive that message. I thought it was so neat and so tightly controlled. I loved it. I loved it. The content, the script. Mm, The script was controlled. I think the important, maybe obvious thing to say here is I believe she started with her message. She started with, I want to tell people that they can be creative, they can control how to be creative, and I'm going to give them the framework and the tools to do that. Yes. Yep. She started and she ended on it. And then the middle was purely supporting material. Yeah. And I noticed on that supporting material, it was it was, it was was a middle ground that she found there. She wasn't exactly storytelling. She wasn't putting us in a time or a place about a specific experience that she had had. But she also wasn't telling me what I should be doing to control my creativity. She talked about herself. She talked about how she's experienced this process, how it sort of worked for her. It was that idea that it was almost self-reflecting. It was just, these are the things that I did. And sort of right at the end, she didn't even say, this could work for you. It just said, this is possible. I really liked how non-forceful her language and her approach was with that supporting material. But still easily applicable to your own life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. You could totally put yourself in her shoes and go, oh, I could do that. Mm. The decision and the action was in the mind of the audience rather than sort of being jammed there from the presenter. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a subtle approach. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. And then just one final thought on that. She used the structure that we really like. The message is the introduction, the message is the conclusion, and three supporting points in the middle. Mm. And she used those three supporting points of this is the framework, the three things there. Mm. So then second question What did we see? I think what I saw was quite a constricted performance. 
Uh, and I saw that in two aspects. Uh, one was she seemed quite breathless, which is she was speaking a lot from sort of the top of the chest. Um, when, when you add in those pauses mm. you're talking about, Kate, it gives you time to properly breathe out and to then fill your lungs and speak with the full depth of your voice in your chest. Mm. And she just sounded quite breathless to me there. And the other thing was her gestures were quite sort of constricted, which is uh, a lot of it, she didn't really move anything above her elbows. So all of her gestures wound up coming from the elbow region, sort of that um, lower chest area. And we never saw anything move away from that. So it all just felt a little bit sort of constricted to me. Her shoulders were tight. You could see them. They didn't move at all. Witchy gestures and breathing comes from as soon as they're tight, you can't move properly. You can't breathe properly. Everything's just caught up. And one way to overcome that is to take that breath out and to relax. Right at the start, even. Yeah. Yeah. She was like that from the second that she walked out. So I think all of that resulted in a presentation that we felt could have had a bit more pause, was that little bit breathless and sort of just, it carried along at the same pace the whole way through. We've mentioned before, it's a little bit like choo-choo, like a train that just keeps steaming along at the same pace. Nothing's going to interrupt it or get in the way. It just Mm. keeps going and... And we did mention about the mumbling as well. I think that was all a result of this entire kind of upper body being constricted. And I think, and I could be wrong here, this woman is a writer. She's not a speaker. Mm. And it was purely experience and nerves holding her back. Yeah. And that's all it was. And I mean, TEDx, it was probably really high stakes for her. There is most probably a lot of nerves here. And it's not that that's a particularly bad thing. Like, we're really looking for stuff here that that we can learn from because this is a talk on the internet. What I think was really worthwhile about this presentation, other than the fact I think we both love that content, mm. the structure was great. She made some good decisions about what not to include. And I think we're just a little bit like, yeah, but she looked kind of nervous, which is generally quite fine. People don't notice nervousness unless... We're specifically looking for it and being critical of a presentation when really what the audience is there for is the information, the message and the content and the value they can get. I think what we're seeing here is a case of where the content really trumps the 98% delivery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So overall, Kate? I loved it. I really love it. I love the content. Her delivery, like I just said, 98%. Was it 100? No. But same as, you know, we didn't say that Simon Sinek was 100% either, so... (laughs) This is probably up there, maybe my top three favourite TED Talks. I love it. I just love it. So good. Mm. How about you? Did you have any overall thoughts? Overall, yeah, absolutely. I love the content. I love that framework that she delivered. Yeah, there was a couple of little tiny niggly things that, you know, distract the the inner pedant in me. But other than that, yeah, it's enjoyable. Probably not my top three, but um, Mm. yeah, it's a favourite. So that was uh, Jane Harper with Creativity in Your Control in October 2018. As always, there's a link to the talk in the show notes so you can go and watch exactly what she does and if you want to listen to it again. Otherwise, that's this week's episode and another speech breakdown. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. If you have a speech you'd like us to listen to and break down on the show, flick us the link at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts or take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information of this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week. No, no, no. I always feel bad disagreeing with you and I don't know why. Because I disagree with you on most things. Oh, I feel fine disagreeing with you. Of course you do. (laughs) 
Well, I just think it really helps you to know when you're wrong. <laughs> wow, okay. 